traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome. So, this is exciting. The water truck came today. A huge, huge tanker truck pulled up at about 11 a.m. this morning. And this tiny woman jumped out of the cab, maybe in her mid-40s. And uh, she dragged this great big hose, like a fire hose, up the driveway, out into the backyard. And then she went back to the truck and, and opened the valve and the water poured out. And it was like filling a swimming pool. She was great. I mean, she really knew her stuff. She walked around the rink. As it was filling and she noticed the boards started to to a bow a little. I got I got a little nervous. She said, ah, you might want to put in some wooden stakes here to reinforce it. So uh, luckily, my uh, engineer friend, Bill, who's been working on the rink and building the lights, he left a pile of wooden stakes in the garage. Uh, so that we, we, we were using those to put up the lights and the uh, the backstop behind the end board. So I grabbed an armful and a sledgehammer and uh, ran back out to the backyard, started driving those stakes into the ground, uh, which thankfully is not frozen yet. And most of the, the bowing was at the far end of the rink where there is probably about a six, a six inch slope. So the water was gathering down at the one end, the one end. And any idea how much 4,000 gallons of water weighs? 4,000 gallons. Any idea, Jacob? Take a guess. Doesn't even want to guess. All right. <laughs> Don't blame you. So one gallon of water weighs about eight and a third pounds. One gallon, eight and a third pounds. So 4,000 gallons of water weighs 33,320 pounds. Whoa, man, that's a lot of water. So uh, now we wait for it to freeze. And it's going down to about minus one tonight and a low of minus four tomorrow, minus five on Thursday. So we could have ice by Christmas. So sharpen your skates, Brandon and Jacob. 
Jacob, you play in a beer league, right? I think he does. Yeah. All right. Uh, just a reminder. I'll be doing live shows tomorrow and Thursday. Friday, of course, is Christmas Eve day. And the plan is to put together a special Christmas special. Uh, no, uh, no hard news. Maybe uh, I can coax the mighty Aphrodite and the twins into participating. And I'll, uh, we'll share a few of our family uh, favorite Christmas songs and a few Christmas memories. We'll hear from some of our regular contributors to the program. Just nice, light, fun fair on Christmas Eve day. Then I'll be off the following week from Monday, the 27th to Thursday, the 30th. And then the plan, at least for now, although this could change, I'm going to put together a special New Year's Eve day show on Friday, the 31st. So, uh, People used to complain about President Trump and his mean tweets. And of course, Grampy Beijing Joe Biden ran on being the great unifier. Well, he turns out to be a callous, nasty old man. Insensitive. Vindictive. Let me just I'm going to read this and then I'll play the actual audio. But let me read this. This is the message that went out on social media from the White House. We are intent on not letting Omicron disrupt work and school for the vaccinated. You've done the right thing, and we will get through this. For the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death for yourselves, your families, and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. Well, Merry Christmas to you, too. Let's hear how that sounded from a member of the White House COVID team. For the unvaccinated... You're looking at a winter of severe illness and death for yourselves, your families, and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. For the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death for yourselves, your families, and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. Merry Christmas. Well, according to the World Health Organization, it's mainly the young and the healthy and the vaccinated that are getting Omicron. So you might want to rethink that messaging. Um, you know, I don't know what what they uh, they put in these vaccines, whatever it is, it seems to turn at least some people into complete jerks. Someone going by the name of Aiden Bentley on Twitter, not sure if this is a satirical Twitter feed or whether this guy is for real. His uh, bio says teacher, gender clinician, what is a gender clinician exactly? A Nazi puncher? Pronouns are they, them, and yo. This guy can't be for real. Anyway, he tweets, as the unvaccinated face a winter of disease and death, make sure to not let feelings get in the way and be sure to exclude them from any interaction you can. This not only helps keep us safe, but maybe the breaking point for them to realize vaccines and boosters are in their best interest. And then his very next tweet, again, uh, this is, what's his name? Aiden Bentley, gender clinician and Nazi puncher. He tweets, uh, looking forward to 2022, as all of the unvaccinated will likely be culled by the virus this winter. When they all have expired, the rest of us can finally move ahead as we build back better. I don't know about you, but I'm willing to embrace the new normal. Let's hope this is uh, satirical. Again, the Nazi punching gender clinician. Uh, CNN has a bit of a problem, huh? 
And it's uh, not limited to several of their problematic on-air people like Chris Cuomo, the alleged groper who uh, got fired, not only for that, but digging up dirt on his brother's accusers who were also groped by his brother, the governor. Then you've got Don Lamont. Jeez, where do I begin with this character? Jeffrey Tubin, the self-gratifier on uh, those Zoom calls. No, CNN has a serious pedophile problem within their ranks. Here's a, I call him Canada's number one and most reliable news source. Tucker Carlson putting this into perspective. We're sad to tell you something very strange going on at CNN right now. In just the past week or two, two separate CNN producers have been accused of child molestation. One of them was a man called John Griffin. He was just indicted by a federal grand jury for attempting to, quote, induce minors to engage in unlawful sexual activity. We're not going to get into details. They're horrifying. He's been fired. Griffin used to work for Chris Cuomo. He bragged about working shoulder to shoulder with him. We'll leave it there. Then just days after that story, Project Veritas exposed another creep at CNN. They published graphic text messages and a video of a CNN producer, apparently CNN producer, fantasizing about molesting a child. Project Veritas said the producer also illicitly, allegedly sought explicit photographs of that child. So we called over to CNN to ask, is this one of your employees? We have the name, we're not gonna air it because none of this has gone to trial, but does he still work there? They didn't get back to us. But this seems like a real story. So to put it into context, as of today, there are more accused pedophiles at CNN than Americans who have died of the so-called Omicron variant that's supposed to be so deadly. Now that seems like news to us. You'd think CNN would be covering it. Like what the hell? How many companies can say that? But that's not what they're covering. If you were watching the Unix show over the weekend, you learn that it's actually Fox News that suffered a week of quote, embarrassing headlines. <laughs> Dr. Freud, we point up lots of examples of transference. That's when you take the things, the sins you've committed and accuse others of them. Nothing better than this example ever. All right. Wow. CNN, the Circus News Network. How much longer before their new owner's uh, discovery pulls the plug on that mess? You have to wonder how much longer they can continue. All right, here's what we have on the program for you today. Uh, we're going to switch things around a bit. Ruth Gazgowski, who normally joins us towards the end of hour one, will join us in hour two with some homeschooling advice. Sue Ann Levy, contributor to True North. Her mother is in a long-term care facility, our retirement home. And uh, Sue Ann had planned to fly her mother down to Florida for the holidays. But Toronto's chief medical officer of health, Eileen Davila, apparently has other ideas for seniors. Sounds like she's preventing them from leaving the country, even if they've had uh, a negative test for COVID. Sue Ann joins us in hour two. Uh, we're hoping to hear from the Honorable Max Bernier, leader of the People's Party, just after five. Uh, he delivered a press conference on Friday at the end of the session of the parliamentary session for 2021. Basically, he discussed the total absence of an opposition we have in this country. That is a sad state of affairs. Uh, a couple of disturbing stories out of Ottawa. The feds have admitted to using cell towers to monitor and track Canadians' movements during COVID. Chalk, chalk up another one for the uh, the conspiracy theorists, huh? Batting a thousand pretty much at this point. Uh, and it also looks as though the feds are planning on keeping this travel ban for the unvaccinated, or the I should say the vaccine-free for a considerable uh, length of time. They're funding it for the next three years, the vaccine mandates. Uh, or maybe it's permanent. 
We'll check in with Tom Korski, managing editor at Black Locks Reporter on that one. And the, uh, the jury has resumed deliberations in the sex trafficking and perjury trial of Ghislaine Maxwell following weeks of testimony. Entertainment reporter and the author of Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales, Dylan Howard will be here to discuss. I have a feeling she's going to walk and then she'll disappear because I think she's an intelligence asset. And the prosecution was told to throw the case. But maybe that's just uh, me being crazy. The NHL is pausing their schedule effective tomorrow until the uh, 27th. I think that's probably uh, wishful thinking. No surprise there. Matt Cullen, the voice of the Mississauga Steelheads, is next with that story. The Richard Serrett Show has launched for Tuesday, December the 21st. Back with Matt Cullen in three minutes. Keep your stick on the ice. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. The NHL has announced it will pause its season beginning Wednesday amid a surge in positive COVID-19 cases. Here to tell us more is the voice of the Mississauga Steelheads heard exclusively here on Saga 960, Matt Cullen. Hey, Matt, how are you? Doing well today, Richard. How about yourself? Very well, thank you. I guess we sort of knew this was coming. I think something like 15% of NHL players are now in COVID-19 protocol. I guess it was just a matter of uh, when, not if. They're going to uh, close down until, I guess, December 26th, and the schedule resumes on the 27th, hopefully, fingers crossed. What is your sense, though? Is this going to happen? Yeah, it's, uh, it's an unfortunate time right now, and to be honest, I don't think uh, anybody really knows uh, what can happen. It really does feel like the start of the pandemic where, where cases are out of control and, and uh, COVID. Unfortunately, the lists are now piling up, and uh, you know, the holidays were a great time for sports, Richard. There's so much going on. There's so many different games and so many different tournaments, but uh, right now... Uh, the NHL, just with, with, you mentioned the percentage of players that are in the, the COVID protocols are, uh, have to take a pause and, and, um, and, you know, hopefully resume in December the 26th. So, but to be honest, I don't even know if that's even going to help because if you take a break and you send the players to their respective families, you know, sure, you don't get the, the cases between teams and things like that, but you know, certainly there's going to be some, some, some issues popping up with players that are with their families. You know, certainly there's going to be some small gatherings, you know, just by the sheer numbers. Uh, there's going to be other situations. Now, what the NHL has put in place is that they have to, there's a mandatory COVID test coming back in. Uh, so that could further delay things as well. But just really a tough time for sports and, and everyone in general, right? Everyone was a, a few weeks ago hoping that the holidays would be uh, a chance to to reconnect with family and loved ones and, uh, you know, enjoy some sports, something we haven't really been able to do much together over the last two years. And, uh, you know, it's a real shame uh, that here we are. But, uh, you know, I have to say that everybody everybody understands that everybody should understand, right, when, uh, when cases and are piling up. Has it been discussed whether they would uh, consider going back to last year's format where they had a Northern League in order to eliminate cross-border matchups? I don't think that has been discussed yet, at least not that I've seen so far. I have seen the word bubble pop up in certain certain contexts. Uh, I'm sure that the NHL does not want to go down that road, of course, the limited fans. But uh, to make a change like that mid-season, though, Richard, I just don't know if that's, you know, I don't know if you can have a proper playoff, you can have a proper 
Stanley Cup if, if you change the division alignments midway midway through the season. So, you know, I, I think what they would do is that they would do something that happened sort of last year that happened during the during the playoffs, right, where you would have the, the COVID testing on, on either side and you would you would you would put in a sort of half bubble around the hotel and the arena. You know, that's the way that the Canadians were able to go travel south south of the border. I mean right now as it is right now, you know, people are still able to travel across borders, and as long as they're vaccinated, they don't have to have a quarantine period. You know, it's hard to know how long that will last for, but uh, you know, as long as that's in place, I think that we'll continue to see uh, travel across across the border. And, and remember, you know, all of these teams are on chartered flights, and you know, taking private buses into private hotels. You know, so uh, the grand scheme of things, from what I've heard from health experts, is that you know, that's not really the main the main issue it's uh, you know it's obviously just right now getting the spread under control and that's why they ultimately decided to stop I guess it's too early to tell regarding the participation of the NHL in the 2022 Winter Olympics well from what I've seen today it sounds like there have been multiple reports that uh, the NHL and the NHL Players Association have decided to pull the plug if you will on the on the Olympics just there's too many cases adding up uh, and there's obviously too many games being postponed if you look at the last 10 days or so you know the, the, the games have been pushed back left right and center so it doesn't look like the NHL will be sending its players to the Beijing Olympics which I know the players had really hoped to, that something that would happen although I, there was some some wavering about what the quarantine consequences were if uh, if a player tested positive in China uh, but it sounds like that uh, it's not official yet, but it does sound like there's some multiple NHL insiders that have uh, that have reported that that announcement is going to be coming coming soon. And uh, and of course, it's a real shame for the fans as well. As you want, you know, the Olympics, you want to see the best. You want to see the best on best. And uh, the NHL didn't send its players to the 2018 games, so we're going back down to 2014, which is quite a long, quite a long time. And you know, you certainly feel terribly for Stephen Stamkos or someone like that that was right on the bubble. And you know, Stamkos, of course, from the GTA, has dreamed of playing for Canada at the Olympics in uh, 2010. He was too young. 2014 had a broken, I believe it was a broken fibula. 2018, they didn't go. And now 2022, you know, it's not looking that good either. So. Um, there have been some questions about whether if, if this continues to keep up, whether the Olympics should go ahead, will go ahead. You know, maybe that's the next question to ask, but uh, it doesn't look like the NHL players will be in Beijing in February at this point. All right, Matt, it's not great news, but uh, it is what it is at this point. Matt Cullen, the voice of the Mississauga Steelheads, you have a very Merry Christmas, Matt. Same to you, Richard. Merry Christmas and uh, happy holidays. It's been uh, great chatting with this year and... Uh, the shame we have to end off on a note like this, but hopefully 2022 will bring us a little bit more optimism. Well, I look forward to speaking to you early in the new year. Matt Cullen, thank you. All right. A New York City jury has resumed deliberations in the sex trafficking and perjury trial of Ghislaine Maxwell following weeks of testimony. Entertainment reporter Dylan Howard is next to discuss. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. Waiting on uh, Dylan Howard, investigative reporter, author of Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales, and uh, his forthcoming, can't wait for this one, Epstein and Maxwell Inc., how the government made spying, sex trafficking, and blackmail big business. And uh, the, uh, the jury, after deliberating, I guess, for about an hour yesterday, 
are back at it again today. This is in the uh, the sex trafficking and perjury trial of Ghislaine Maxwell uh, following weeks of testimony. Uh, It didn't seem like weeks. I mean, there was a pause in the trial at one point. I guess that the reason the uh, the trial seemed to go by so quickly is because there was virtually no coverage by the mainstream media. So uh, as we wait for Dylan Howard to give us his thoughts on this trial, uh, Maxwell, who is uh, 59, of course, she's uh, denied grooming underage girls for abuse uh, by the late convicted sex offender, Jeffrey Epstein. And prosecutors are basically portraying her as a sophisticated predator. And Maxwell's lawyers are basically saying this is all sensationalism. These were the final statements uh, to the jurors. And Maxwell faces uh, 80 years, up to 80 years in prison if she's convicted. So it's... um, It'll be interesting to see what happens. Judge uh, Allison Nathan has said over the weekend that jurors... Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Would be instructed that they may choose to convict Maxwell if they conclude she either ignored or consciously avoided knowledge of Epstein's underage sexual encounters. A defense attorneys maintain she's the government's scapegoat for crimes committed by Epstein, her former boyfriend and business associate. But she's also been described by, by some as Epstein's protector. And it's easy, uh, you know, it's or rather I should say it's difficult. It's difficult uh, to counter, you know, her claims that she's the victim here because Epstein's dead. Can't put him on the witness stand. Maxwell's lawyers criticize the judge's move as a backup option in case the jury doesn't find uh, Ms. Maxwell was an active participant. Shislaine is a a socialite, daughter of a late British media tycoon. And she's been uh, held in a U.S. jail without the chance of bail since her arrest in July 2020. My fear is that she will walk And she'll disappear. 
I think she's an intelligence asset. And I think the prosecution were told to throw this case. How else to explain what a miserable case they've put forward? Uh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Allison Moe alleges Ms. Maxwell was key to the whole operation in a New York City court on Monday. Maxwell was dangerous. She was a grown woman who preyed on vulnerable kids, she said. It's time to hold her accountable. Mo added it was not an accident that the alleged victims largely came from troubled backgrounds and had similar accounts of their abuse. It happened again and again and again. It's, it's powerful evidence of Maxwell's guilt. In a, uh, a rebuttal to the defense, prosecutor Maureen Comey, yes, that Comey family, her father was FBI director, said there's not a shred of evidence that a group of lawyers got together and made up a story about Maxwell. Comey also brought up a recently disclosed $30 million money transfer from Epstein to Ms. Maxwell, telling jurors it was, we molested kids together money. All right, we'll um, hopefully we'll connect with Dylan Howard for the next segment. And we'll continue to discuss this uh, Maxwell trial. Again, the jury in deliberation for two hours today. She could face up to 80 years. I suspect at the very least, she'll get off very light. Worst case scenario, she walks and disappears into the night. Back with more of the Richard Serrett Show right after these. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. For months, I've been telling you about the wonderful health products from my good friends at North American Herb and Spice. I've been telling you and everyone I know about how to get maximum immune support from P73 Wild Oregano. Whether you prefer the drops, gel caps, powder, or even inhalants, North American Herb and Spice has a whole line of wild oregano supplements to support a healthy immune response. P73 Wild Oregano is available at fine health food stores across the GTA, or you can order online at oregano.com. Now, here's an idea. Visit the website and sign up for the North American Herb and Spice newsletter, and then you'll receive 5% off when you order online. P73 Wild Oregano for a healthy immune system from North American Herb and Spice. The website, once again, oregano.com, O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L, 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 oregano.com. How do we determine what is true, what is false, and what is misleading? Fact check this. All right. Uh, This is an interesting story from Zero Hedge. Uh, Are they still banned on Twitter? I think they were banned forever, forever on uh, Twitter, but they do great work. Zero Hedge. And um, an uncovered uh, email has exposed Dr. Mengele, I mean, Dr. Fauci, and Dr. Francis Collins, who is, uh, well, he was, I guess, director of the National Health Institute of Health, Institutes of Health. He's, um, He's either stepped down or getting ready to step down. But from October 2nd to the 4th of 2020, it's been revealed that the American Institute for Economic Research 
uh, hosted a small conference for scientists to discover the COVID-19 lockdowns. And just four days later, Dr. Collins, the retiring director of NIH, would call the three of the scientists in attendance fringe epidemiologists. And then in a directive, he sent to Dr. Fauci and other senior staff at his agency. Basically, he called them, again, fringe epidemiologists. Because they had the temerity to ask whether the lockdowns of 2020 were effective. Now, who were these three fringe epidemiologists, you may ask? Martin Kaldorf of Harvard, Sunetra, Sunetra Gupta of Oxford University in Great Britain, and Jay Bhattacharya of Stanford University. Three of the, of the top experts. They also were the three that launched the, uh, the, the Barrington Declaration, which has now been signed, I believe, something like almost a million people, including Nobel Prize winning scientists and immunologists and virologists. So why was Dr. Collins so intent on impugning these three scientists? Tyler Durden writes at Zero Hedge, it's hard to know exactly, mostly because any scientist worth his salt should have been happy to see further research being done. That is, after all, how ignorance is replaced by knowledge. But Dr. Collins was clearly in no mood to replace his own possible ignorance with any kind of knowledge. He was pretty sure he knew all he had to know. And this is one of the most dangerous positions a scientist can take. So in this uh, leaked email that was uh, acquired through a Freedom of Information Act request, Dr. Collins told Fauci and CC'd Lawrence Tabak, Deputy Ethics Counselor at NIH, that he wanted a quick, get this, a quick and devastating published takedown of the Great Barrington Declaration premises. And then on the Zero Hedge article, they, they publish or they print the leaked email from Dr. Francis, or rather Dr. Francis Collins. Hi, Tony and Cliff, he writes. This proposal from three fringe epidemiologists who met with the secretary seems to be getting a lot of attention. And even a co-signature from Nobel Prize winner Mike Levitt at Stanford. There needs to be a quick and devastating published takedown of its premises. I don't see anything like this online yet. Is it underway? So one wonders, Zero Hedge writes, why Francis would CC the Deputy Ethics Commission or Counselor on this, given the, given the trouble these people seem to have with ethics. But here they were in October of 2020. Fauci wrote that same night to let Collins know that there was already a devastating takedown of the Great Barrington Declaration in the August scientific publication Wired. Uh, anyway, I would uh, encourage you to go uh, to uh, zerohedge.com and you can you can find that article. Emails expose Fauci Collins collusion to smear anti-lockdown scientists. Right. Rather than engage them in public discourse, which is usually, you know, a good idea. When you're discussing a pandemic and how to handle it. Rather than doing that. Rather than arguing or debating or, I don't know, exchanging notes, they decide to engage in a public takedown to smear them, to discredit them. 
That's very uh, instructive, that leaked email. All right. Is the uh, federal government planning on keeping this travel ban permanent? And also, the feds have admitted that they're using cell towers, cell phone towers to track the movement of Canadians during COVID. Chalk up another one for the conspiracy theorists, huh? Tom Korski, managing editor of Black Locks Reporter, will be here next with those stories. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Now, if I would have told you about this, I don't know, two years ago, six months ago, three months ago, two weeks ago, you would have thought, you're a crazy conspiracy theorist. This idea that those cell phone towers can be used to track our movement and they're being used that way. Well, here we go. The public health agency basically admitted that's what they've been doing during COVID. Tom Korski, managing editor of Black Locks Reporter, as usual, has the story. Hey, Tom, welcome. Thank you, Richard. So they're telling us that in the interest of being open and transparent, they tell us after the fact that they did this and that they're continuing to do it. Um, So exactly how does this work? How are they using cell phone towers to track us and for what purpose exactly? Well, the cell phone tower does give you your coordinates off your mobile devices. And there's 33 million people in this country who have a mobile device. And so they are able to track you. And this is, you know, similar as all mobile devices, GPS units and snowplows, right? But our question was, why would the public health agency care? It doesn't even make sense, Richard. Why would they care? what 33 million people were doing over the course of the pandemic using cell tower tracking. They said, well, it was to ensure compliance with lockdowns. They don't need that information, Richard. We already have that information through, of all things, gas tax revenues, which fell like a stone in the worst days of the pandemic, fell 12% because people bought less gas because there were lockdowns. Whoever came up with this idea for whatever purpose It's difficult to believe it was the public health agency being mother's little helper to see if everyone was following the rules. It doesn't add up. Right. Uh, Because how do they uh, I guess they they can use these cell towers to, as you say, these GPS uh, locators. But uh, don't you have to have uh, your tracking uh, app turned on in order for them to to be able to do this? Not necessarily, because it is that's the point of the cell phone tower, so that you always are within range. And you know this, you know everyone famously has the roaming fee issue when once you leave your home country, go down to the states. So you can access that just as you can, uh, you know, any any Wi-Fi signal. But they access this data because they could. And as you mentioned, they didn't announce it. They never said the public health agency was was going to do this. And they only announced it because they issued a contractor's notice because they'd like to keep going for another five years. (laughs) Who thinks the pandemic is going to be on five years from now? But this was this agency's determination. You know, you, you said it. This has been one of the great disasters of the pandemic has been privacy rights in this country. They're, 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 it's, it's a whole new ballgame. So how would this be useful to them, as you point out? I mean, that's the big question, because uh, how do they distinguish? They see, OK, they see all of these people with cell phones out and about. But how do they distinguish? Well, who's 
uh, you know, who's positive, who's negative, who's supposed to be quarantined, who's not. I mean, how do they how do they sift through that data to make any use of this? It makes no sense. Now, let's be frank. There is nothing that you cannot learn from cell tower tracking that you couldn't learn if you just sat by the side of the 401 or the lawn chair and kept an eye on on motor vehicle license plates. But why would they need to do that for 33 million people? They say the data is anonymized. That means there is no individual tracking. No one is following Phil or Shirley on their way home. But the, the, the official explanation for this, and I understand, as you point out, this sounds conspiratorial, but it's not. This is on the level, Richard. It doesn't make any sense. Of what possible use is it for the public health agency in Ottawa to know how many cars are on the 401 at any given moment? But they wanted that data. And there must have been a reason. They won't say what they paid for it. And they won't say what they will budget to keep collecting that data for the next five years. Is it possible they're testing it? Maybe, you know, maybe that's the first shoe to drop. The next one uh, is a requirement for us to have some. uh, Here I go with my conspiracy theories again, but it's 2021. All bets are off. Uh, Maybe the second uh, foot to drop here is uh, you have to have some sort of a tracking app on your on your phone with your vac status. It's funny, you know, when they came up with that COVID alert app, everyone famously remembers cost about 20 million and they wanted everyone to download the app and then report when you became infected of 33 million mobile device users in Canada, only 6 million downloaded it. And there was buyer's remorse. The other, the vast majority had privacy worries. Canadians instinctively know this. My opinion, Richard, the public health agency did this because they could. I I think the the information is completely useless to them. But isn't it interesting that loss of privacy does become addictive? And it's like all addictions. Then you want more. Once you get used to data and people surrendering data without informed consent, especially if you're in government, this is a pretty good fix. Once you've normalized the fact that all of us must disclose our personal medical status to determine if we're vaccinated or not so we can go to the hockey game before the lockdown, that becomes normalized and that becomes a government fix. That's the problem with loss of privacy rights. You really don't get it back, do you? No, 100%. Very quickly, and you and I have talked about this uh, before, and that has to do with the uh, the travel ban on the, the, I'm calling them the vaccine-free uh, now, not the unvaccinated, the vaccine-free. Uh, someone uncovered in, I guess it was Christia Freeland's economic uh, and fiscal update, funding for the next three years uh, for this travel ban and vaccine mandates, three more years of this, it sounds like they're, I don't know, angling to keep this kind of stuff mandatory or uh, permanent. What do you think? It's funny, Richard. Uh, we were just having this conversation earlier today in the newsroom. If you had told me a year ago that this thing would, would you know, it was going to be over. It was gonna, Christmas 2021 was going to be fantastic. The kids were all going to be back in school. And if you tell me today that this thing's going to be going on a year from now, you know what? I, I, I have to believe that. I would not be surprised anymore. The cabinet says they're going to start wrapping it up in terms of surveillance programs, in terms of funding, in terms of spending. But there's no sign of that. And when you see the public health agency saying, we just love those cell tower tracking (laughs) reports for the next five years, it makes you wonder. Yeah. 
uh, it makes me shudder. It makes me wonder and it makes me shudder. Tom, always uh, amazing work. Uh, and Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you and everyone at Black Locks Reporter. You, you guys do amazing, amazing work. Uh, you're very kind. A happy Christmas to you as well, Richard. All right. And let me direct listeners uh, to blacklocks.ca. Blacklocks.ca. Take a moment. Subscribe. You won't regret it. All right. Hour two awaits uh, the Honorable Max Bernier, hopefully standing by. We'll uh, get his thoughts as the uh, session ends for 2021. And the total lack of opposition in this country would have thought that the conservatives and the NDP would be in lockstep on just about every issue. Hard to believe. Plus, uh, Sue Ann Levy. Is uh, Eileen Davila holding her mother hostage? I'm speaking uh, figuratively, not literally. That's uh, all up and coming right here on The Richard Serrett Show. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Hey, Richard! Hello, yes. Can I help you? Richard! The Richard Serrett Show continues on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Hour 2. A little bit later, we'll uh, check in with Ruth Gazgowski, who will uh, offer us some homeschooling advice and how to give your child a classical education in the home. Classical education. This is the type of education that our ancestors had. I mean, it dates back to the Renaissance. Uh, the founding fathers, many of whom were homeschooled, received a classical education. So you learned Latin, you learned ancient Greek, you learned logic, you learned rhetoric. Imagine being able to give your child the best education there is at home. Ruth Gaskowski, uh, Sue Ann Levy will drop by. Investigate. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Native reporter, contributor to True North and... She's going through a situation. This is an odd one. Uh, her mother is elderly in a, a retirement a home or long-term care facility. And um, Sue Ann would like to fly her mother down to Florida for the holidays. But uh, Toronto's chief medical officer of health, Eileen DeVilla, has other plans. She wants uh, all seniors in these facilities. I hate the facilities. That's a horrible word. Um, she wants them to stay put. She wants to prevent them from leaving the country, even those that tested negative. And my understanding is Sue Ann Levy's mother does not have COVID. She's tested negative. Uh, I presume she's, uh, she, well, she's, she's vaccinated. And uh, so Sue Ann, understandably upset by this. 
We hope to uh, connect this hour with Dylan Howard, entertainment reporter, and uh, we'll talk about the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, sex trafficking and perjury trial. Uh, the jury is in deliberation. Deliberations uh, again today. All right, before that, the Honorable Max Bernier, leader of the People's Party, joins us once again. Max, great to have you on board again. How are you, sir? Thank you very much, uh, Richard. I'm very pleased to be with you. Likewise. Uh, so on Friday, you uh, you delivered, I don't know if it's a year-end uh, press conference, but it certainly marked the end of the parliamentary session, uh, which is interesting. I mean, here we had back in September, the prime minister saying, you know, this is the most important election since the end of World War II. <laughs> it was so important that uh, after the results came in and he uh, received a, uh, uh, not really a mandate, uh, like when you look at the number of people that actually voted, it turns out about 18 percent of eligible voters voted for this government. Uh, so it was the most important election since the Second World War. And then he waits two months to get back into Parliament. And what did they end up sitting about 19 days before they go into recess? What are your thoughts? Yeah, something like that, around 19 days. And also, don't forget that 40 percent of the population didn't vote at the last general election because, you know, they didn't want to um, see uh, Trudeau or another party to be in government. Uh, it's too bad for us because uh, I believe we, the PPC, uh, we are a party for these people that didn't vote. You know, uh, usually when you don't vote, it's because you don't like the establishment politicians and we are doing politics differently. So that would be our challenge at the next general election to be able to reach to these people that didn't vote. And yes, I did a press conference uh, for the end of the session uh, last Friday. And, you know, I just said that uh, we are the only real opposition in Ottawa. The official opposition is not an opposition anymore. They agree, the conservatives, uh, <clears throat> they agree with, um, with Justin Trudeau on the most uh, important issues uh, for our country. COVID hysteria, they're all the same. Uh, Bill C-4 that they passed concerning the conversion therapy. They didn't want to uh, protect the children. And also all the inflation that we are paying right now, the inflation tax, they agree with that. So, um, but I was, uh, it, for me, it was important to do that press conference. Uh, actually, uh, I was a little bit disappointed because uh, we had some uh, mainstream journalists that were uh, listening uh, <clears throat> on the line. Uh, no, nobody um, were present uh, at our um, Nobody was present at our press conference, but some of them were on the line, but didn't uh, <clears throat> didn't um, print anything about our press conference. I think the media, they still want to uh, ignore us. Uh, but, you know, we'll fight that. And I'm very pleased that I have the opportunity to be with you this afternoon. Likewise, um, I, I've noticed, I mean, the uh, the conservative party, um there seems to be some dissent there, although Aaron O'Toole is trying to keep a, a tight lid on it. However, we had the MP for Cypress Hills Grasslands, which is in Saskatchewan. Finally, someone in the Conservative Party actually stand up and push back a little bit. This was the first time Jeremy Patzer. I don't know if you know Jeremy MP uh, was taking the, the, the liberals to task for their treatment of the vaccine free. I don't call them unvaccinated anymore, Max. We should call people that have refused the jab, the vaccine free, uh, took them to task for their horrendous, grotesque treatment of the vaccine free, denying them work. If they get kicked out of work, they get no severance. They get no unemployment. Uh, 
Uh, are you hearing any rumblings? I mean, there was another um, MP for St. Albert Edmonton, Michael Cooper, uh, who's also finally standing up and pushing back a little bit against, uh, you know, these mandates and so forth. Are you hearing any rumblings? Uh, you know, is it possible you might be able to pry some of those PC or those conservative backbenchers away and join uh, join up with People's Party? I doubt, you know, uh, I'm pleased that uh, they, they had the courage to speak for their people. Uh, actually, it won't go nowhere because the position of the, the leader and, and, and the establishment of the party uh, is aligned with the position of the liberal government. So I believe that they are doing that just to please their, uh, their people in their writing. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, but uh, that being said, um, you know, these uh, politicians are establishment politicians. They don't want to do politics based on principles and fighting for what is good for this country because their only goal is to be elected. So I doubt that any one of them will come and cross the floor with us because we are at five or maybe we, we had five percent of the vote at the last general election. But now we are around 10 percent in the polls. And that's very good for a young party. And I'm very pleased with that. We'll increase that. But at 10 percent. You cannot win a seat. You cannot win your seat. So they are there for their paycheck. They are there to win and they won't cross. And so sometimes they have the courage to speak about an important issue, but it won't go nowhere because uh, when they are back in Ottawa, they're in line with the, the talking points of the Conservative Party of Canada. All right. Let's talk uh, some fiscal policy. This is uh, not good news. Uh, we're looking at a debt as uh, by 2026-27 of one point. Three five billion dollars, almost one point four a trillion. Uh, uh, sorry, one point four trillion dollars. Um, servicing that debt when interest rates are low is barely manageable. Uh, but with inflation, you know, the 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 Bank of Canada, if they want to control inflation, they're going to have to tighten the money supply. That means raising interest rates. Uh, we could be we could be careening off a cliff here, Max. Uh, absolutely. And if you look at our debt uh, before the pandemic, it's almost it will almost double in 2026. So and actually, who's uh, buying our Canadian bonds? Usually it's the Bank of Canada. The Bank of Canada did that. They, they printed three hundred and fifty uh, billion dollars. Uh, to pay for the last uh, two deficits. So it's money, printed money out of thin air. And when you do that, you create inflation. And that's why we have inflation. And yes, you're right. Inflation is a hidden tax. And so the government will spend a little bit more because in their last economic update, they said, the finance minister said that she will spend another $30 billion over six years for COVID-19 programs. We don't need programs for COVID-19. We just need to end these lockdowns and draconian measures all across the country. Here in Quebec, as you know now, the, you cannot have the right to go to your gym vaccinated or unvaccinated. There's no difference right now. You cannot go to a gym. You cannot, uh, the restaurant, uh, some of them have to close. And if, if they want to stay open, you have to be at half capacity. And they will, and the federal government just said, you know, we'll have a program for you. And these entrepreneurs, 
don't want any programs. They want to be able to be open. So, yes, we are paying right now with the inflation uh, at 4.7%, but that's the official rate of inflation. The real rate of inflation that you're paying when you're doing your grocery, uh, you're paying for your gas, for your shelter, it's about 10%. So it's a new tax on your salary of 10%, and that will grow. The, it's it's too bad. The only way to fight that is to balance the budget as soon as possible, cutting these expenses, And uh, but nobody... Uh, will nobody will do that? Uh, the conservatives and the liberals. That's why I said they're the same. They're, 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 there is no opposition in Ottawa about that subject. The O'Toole said that he won't balance the budget. It will take ten years. So it's like you know he wouldn't. He won't do it. And uh, and he want everybody. Uh, when I'm saying everybody, the NDP, the conservatives, the liberals, everybody are there to uh, buy your votes with uh, printed money. And they are saying that the inflation, it's not because of them, of the Bank of Canada. It's because of uh, COVID-19 and uh, uh, the supply chain. No, inflation is always a monetary. Um, uh, it's all, it's, uh, the, the inflation is all, always there because of a monetary policy. All right, Max, I wish we had more time, but uh, I want to uh, thank you for coming on and wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year. And we'll look forward to speaking to you uh, sometime in 2022. Thank you, Richard. Same thing for you. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Max Bernier, leader of the People's Party. All right. We may hook up with Dylan Howard when we come back and uh, continue to talk about the Ghislaine Maxwell case. Sue Ann Levy as well, standing in the wings to discuss about the uh, to discuss the plight of her uh, her mother, who's trapped inside a, uh, a long term care home. Uh, back with more. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 a.m. All right. Dylan Howard, I guess. Oh, Dylan is uh, he has joined us. He was in a bad cell area uh, a little earlier, but uh, we're happy to have Dylan Howard with us now. Investigative reporter, author of Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales, Epstein and Maxwell, Inc. How the government made spying, sex trafficking and blackmail big business. Dylan, welcome back to the program. How are you? Good to be with you. Likewise. And thanks for joining us. So uh, they're in uh, day two of deliberations, the jury, that is, in the uh, Maxwell trial. Uh, yesterday, I think they deliberated for all of about a, uh, an hour. Um, mm-hmm. Supposedly, there were like weeks of testimony. I don't know. To me, it seems like because there was a pause in the trial at one point. This thing went by so quickly, I guess maybe because there wasn't a lot of media coverage. Uh, it just doesn't seem like there was a lot of meat on them bones uh, on the part of the prosecution. What are your thoughts? Well, I think we all expected that the prosecution would have mounted a more elaborate uh, prosecution in an attempt uh, to win over the jury. Um, you have to understand in this case, the prosecution has the burden of proof. The defence, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, merely needs to sow a seed of doubt in the minds of those jurors if she is to escape the rest of her life in prison. Now, there were a couple of notable moments in this particular trial. One, I think we should note that its brevity was rather surprising. We did expect the government to mount um, a more stinging indictment, although the closing arguments from the prosecutor suggested that Maxwell was running an elaborate and sophisticated sex trafficking ring. That said, that wasn't really part of their case. 
Their case was the three individual victims and an indictment surrounding those crimes and perjury. And if I'm to guess, I do say that I do think that there is a strong likelihood that Ghislaine Maxwell is going to skate on the more serious crimes. I think inevitably she might be found guilty of perjury. However, she was very powerful in standing up to the judge in front of the jury and declining her request to uh, to be questioned in the witness box by saying outright to the court, which you don't necessarily see all the time, that she will not be taking the stand because the prosecution hadn't mounted an adequate defence. Prosecution, I should say. Right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously just speculating here, but I mean, the title of your, your forthcoming book is um, about you know the, how the government made spying, sex trafficking, and blackmail big business. So uh, if Ghislaine Maxwell is an intelligence asset, wouldn't it make sense that the, the prosecution were told basically stand down, throw this case? Well, the question has to be asked, um, and it was brought into trial of some $30 million worth of deposits that were made to Ghislaine Maxwell from Jeffrey Epstein. That's not for a cheeseburger and fries at lunch. I mean, that's $30 million. The fact that the government didn't probe what they were actually doing, there was a key question, one key question that should have been asked in all of this that wasn't. If it was established, as the prosecution alleges, that Ghislaine Maxwell procured young women for Jeffrey Epstein and effectively played the role of madam and sex trafficked these individuals, why did she do it? If the answer is for Jeffrey Epstein's pleasure, then that's that case. But if they ask why again, was there something more sinister? I'm, I believe that the government is afraid of what the answer might well be and that it will take down key individuals that turn a blind eye to this. Don't forget, in 2006, it was the US government that had a litany of victims. The FBI had obtained unimpeachable evidence that Jeffrey Epstein was running this sex trafficking ring, but they decided to deflect the case, provide him federal immunity, make it a, civil, a, a criminal case in district court in Florida, and therefore he was only ever convicted on one count. This trial will leave more questions unanswered than it has provided answers for, which is going to make what happens next and that is the exposing of those individuals who knew what was going on why they did nothing about it how they knew about it and how our, how government systemically allowed this to happen that is going to be the big story that emerges out of this not the conviction of Ghislaine Maxwell on any of these charges uh, Dylan when uh, can we expect Epstein and Maxwell Inc to come out as soon as we, the verdict is announced, um, you know, I, I have said from, from day one that we have, my co-authors and myself have obtained proof that shows that the government knew of Epstein's sex trafficking ring, thereby implicating Maxwell. The same office that is prosecuting this case was aware in more detail, but chose not to pursue it at trial. That is an indictment in my view, on the government and the prosecution and the innocent victims whose lives were stolen from them 
by this sex trafficking ring being allowed to operate on American soil is unforgivable, and those that were involved in that now need to be held to account. Can't wait for that one, Dylan. Thank you so much, and a very Merry Christmas to you and yours. Likewise. Cheers. Bye-bye. Dylan Howard. All right. When we come back, Sue Ann Levy, investigative journalist, contributor to True North, will be here with a very curious case involving her elderly mother, who Sue Ann is desperately trying to get to Florida for the holidays. But uh, Toronto's chief medical officer of health, Eileen Davila, has other plans. Back with that story in three minutes. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. This is a curious one, or I should say disturbing, actually. Uh, I'll follow Sue Ann Levy on Twitter, religiously. And um, I'm reading here where she says her mom's bags were packed a week ago. Plane tickets purchased. The facility booked down here in Florida. And um, her mom had uh, quite a year. Sue Ann as well, after... uh, losing her dad and her mom's husband, obviously. And now Toronto Public Health and Eileen Davila, well, they've got other plans. They're saying that Sue Ann's mom and other residents in this uh, home have to go into isolation, even if they test negative. They're staying put, no travel, international travel. And uh, I just I just find this unconscionable. Uh, that's a word I use a lot. Uh, these days, almost every show. Sue Ann Levy is an investigative reporter, contributor to True North and the author of Underdog Confessions of a Right Wing Gay Jewish Muckraker. That would look really good under your Christmas tree this year. Uh, Sue Ann, welcome. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for the plug again. You're great. Anytime. So tell me about your mom. Uh, Obviously, we don't want to tell you know, tell people where she is, but is this, yeah. this is a long-term care facility or is it a retirement home or? or it's a retirement home. She's okay. been in it for, um, I think two years, three years, all through COVID. Um, and unfortunately my parents had to go to separate facilities because my dad had Alzheimer's. He had to go to a specific place, but she's been in this retirement residence and they also had a home in Florida, which has been sold. But my mother's had a rough year. She was diagnosed with Lewy body dementia. My my dad passed away from COVID and I thought it would be real nice if I could bring her down. She is doing very well, but you never know the prognosis. And she's lived through lockdown after lockdown after lockdown, you know, to the point where, you know, I could I had to look at her through a window as many had. Um, the facilities in t- Toronto, right in Toronto proper. And I had I had to go like jump through basic hoops to find a proper facility for her down here. She can't stay where I am because um, she. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. 
tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. She needs care and she needs to be watched. Um, and we were afraid she was going to trip over our dogs. So, um, and she's on a walker. So I had to find a facility that would serve her properly. I it, met with them, interviewed, did all the assessments. Uh, we went back and forth, booked the flight. And then I find out Sunday night that their driver in the home has tested positive for COVID. They don't even know what kind of COVID, whether it's Omicron or whatever. Immediately, Toronto Public Health, I get this email, has ordered everyone into lockdown, every single person. My mother hasn't been out with the driver in weeks. Uh, they can't come out of their rooms and they're served meals in their rooms. So here we are, 2020 revisited. But the thing that just made me crazy was at the bottom of the email, it said they have ordered that there be no travel outside the home, outside the country. How can she's not a prisoner for crying out loud? I mean, you know, my my uh, my wife, the mighty Aphrodite, uh, I call her. We were talking about earlier on and, and, and we were saying, you know, th um, thank God our both our our, our mothers are, um, you know, outside of a, a retirement home or a long term care facility. They, they manage on their own. Um, but if we had an elderly parent. In one of these facilities during COVID, we we said we we swore up and down we'd go in there and bust the doors down and and get them out of there. You know, we'd bring them home. Yeah, I mean, how can they how can they prevent you from from taking your mother out of there? She's not a prisoner. Well, this I don't know. And how can P Toronto Public Health declare that no one can leave the country if she tests negative? As far as I'm concerned, and you know the hoops you have to jump over to get on the plane to get out of the country. Um, and I had all the paperwork organized. I have to, I'm, I'm supposed to fly home because I was going to bring her down personally. I didn't want to entrust her with a caregiver. And um, I have to go through hoops as well. And it's already Tuesday. I was supposed to fly up next Monday and they haven't let me know. Nobody's let me know whether, you know, she can get out of there. Can she bust out of there? I'll add one more thing. Toronto Public Health tested this driver and they still don't have the results. I mean, what kind of operation do they run? If I went into a lab, I'd have my results in an hour. Right, right. Unbelievable. All right, uh, Sue Ann, hold on. We'll come back and uh, discuss uh, a little bit more. Sue Ann Levy, investigative reporter, contributor to True North, uh, telling us about this horrible situation. She's trying to get her mom down to Florida from a uh, retirement home. Um, and they've basically been forced into uh, lockdown and isolation by Toronto Public Health uh, Chief Medical Officer of Health, rather, Eileen Davila. Back with more of our conversation in three minutes. Don't go away. Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Back with Sue Ann Levy. Contributor to True North, investigative reporter, and uh, the book is Underdog, Confessions of a Right-Wing Gay, Lesbian, uh, Jewish Muckraker, Muckraker, Muckraker. Um, so we're talking about Sue Ann's mom, who is in a retirement home, and Sue Ann is trying to get her down to Florida for the holidays. Uh, but now the um, the chief medical officer of health for the city of Toronto, Eileen Davila, has ordered all of the, the residents, not just at your home, but is it just... Um, your mom's retirement home or, or all retirement homes and long-term care facilities into lockdown, Sue Ann? 
No, it's not all homes. It's where they suspect there may be Omicron or a COVID case. Um, and look, I covered this extensively for the fast, last year. And I want to make your listeners aware that I also said that uh, seniors were not protected well enough in these homes, long-term care or retirement residences. But having said that, I also wrote about loneliness and isolation and the debilitating effects of locking people in their room. There's no reason why these residents in this home or any other home should be locked in their rooms. I mean, my mother really declined during that period. And uh, thankfully we brought her back with a good drug and uh, not, you know, she she's on a prescription drug for her uh, Louis body dementia and she's pretty feisty. And that's all I wanted to take her uh, down to Florida while she was well, while she was the way she is. And as you say, the driver who was the, the contact here, yeah. um, they haven't, they don't have his test results yet. No, we got this email on Sunday night, um, all of the families of the residents, and they said the results would be in a few days. And my brother's in Toronto, he's a doctor, and I said, what the heck is going on? Why does it take so long? And he said, they're using the excuse now that they're backlogged because there's so many tests being given. Well, I'm sorry, after two years, you haven't got your act together, you spent countless millions of dollars, and I have no sympathy for any of them. If you can go to a lab, Richard, which I would have to do in Toronto to go back on the plane and get my results within an hour, what is the problem with Toronto Public Health? Has your your mother's been tested? Apparently so, yes. And she's negative. So far, so good. Right. So I don't understand here. You know, it's like um, they're uh, they're putting a pause in the NHL uh, schedule uh, because they've got like 15 percent of their players are in protocol. Well, why don't they just follow what the NFL is doing? They are not testing asymptomatic people. If you're asymptomatic or if if you're um, if you're not showing uh, symptoms, Mm -hmm. just put them out on the field. I don't understand if someone is tested negative. Why can't they just let them go about their their business? Are you going to get a lawyer and spring her out of there? Well, I hope not. I've written an extensive email to Toronto Public Health, and I'm just waiting till this evening to see if there's any. um, But I haven't heard a word. I have not heard a word. When I get off the phone with you, I'm going to call my mom and see what the heck is going on, if she has any news. But, you know, the fact that two days have gone by and I haven't heard anything either, and and my brother was going to get in touch with them today, I don't understand how they can let this go. He suspects that they could keep them in lockdown for weeks. And that is just wrong, totally wrong. Are you going to get a legal opinion as to as to whether what they're trying to do is even legal? I mean, you can't unlawfully detain people. I will if I have to. I'm hoping to resolve this without. But I'll tell you, Richard, uh, I'm going to come up. And if I get arrested when I try to take her out of the home, you can do a story on it. (laughs) (laughs) I will be there to post bail, Sue Ann. (laughs) Uh, Well, this is absolutely devastating, really. It must be for you. you want to be with your mom and they say, Oh, well, if we, if we keep work, they keep telling us, you know, we, if we take these measures now, we can enjoy Christmas or we can have a good summer or that, well, it's just Christmas. There'll be another Christmas or another holiday. No talking about people that are very elderly that are, you know, holding on. How many holidays do they have left? Well, that's the point. My mother is 88. 
She is diagnosed with this disease that can go nowhere but down. And this is why I find it cruel. And she's not the only one. There are other people in their 90s in this home. Uh, A gentleman, a rabbi from Hamilton that I grew up with, 101. I mean, what are you doing to these people? Are they going to die of loneliness in their rooms? I, it's it just boggles my mind that, you know, still seniors are being treated like this. Now, I my brother and I happen to be very, very involved in my mom's care. And we're just not going to take a no for an answer. Good for you. You shouldn't have to take a no. This is just unconscionable. All right. Uh, Sue Ann. Well, I, uh, I wish you the best of luck with this. Please. Uh, I'm sure you'll uh, keep us uh, up to date on Twitter and. Uh, I will we'll follow indeed. your exploits. All right. Okay. Go Take get your care. mom out of there and enjoy your I holiday. will. I'll break her out. We were going to put her in our trunk and move her out in her trunk. <laughs> okay, Sue Ann, thank you so much. Happy holidays. Same to you, Rick. All right. Uh, when we come back, Ruth Gazgowski will be here to talk some uh, homeschooling uh, advice and resources. And uh, we're going to talk about a classical education, how you can give your child a classical education through homeschooling. Ruth's uh, website, incidentally, is humanitasfamily.net, humanitasfamily.net. And if you've been following uh, Ruth on this program since we started the show, uh, what, nine months ago, um, you know that she posts a lot of great articles and resources there. So uh, check it out, humanitas, H-U-M-A-N-I-T-A-S, humanitasfamily.net. That conversation in about three minutes. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. Classical education. We hear that term, but what does it mean? This is When I think of a classical education, I think of the best education that money can buy, the kind of education that was taught in the best schools for centuries, going back to the Renaissance, the kind of education, for example, the founding fathers of the United States had, even though many of them were homeschooled. What if I were to tell you, you could give your child a classical education while learning at home? Ruth Gaskowski joins us every Tuesday with homeschooling advice and resources, and uh, she's here to tell us all about a classical education. Hey, Ruth, welcome back. Hi, Richard. Happy to be here. So uh, give us the sort of the historical background on uh, classical education. Yeah, Um, actually, I I often, when people, I hear the term classical education, you know what it means, but many actually ask me, oh, what instrument does your child play? (laughs) And then I have to say, actually, it's not related to classical music, but as you said, it's it's based in ancient history. It's actually based in ancient Greece, uh, rooted in over 2,500 years uh, ago, and um, European culture and thus the civilization that we are part of has been founded on these educational methodologies. And um, it was the norm up until around 100 years ago when all leaders in politics, scientists, philosophers, masters of literature and mathematicians were all educated in the classical model. It's actually only over the past four decades that education has adopted various experimental approaches 
creating a system of that's full of constant changes and revamping when methods prove to be ineffective or when there is a decline in student learning. So um, now classical education may sound extreme because it's very traditional, but really this is the, the form of education that has been used for over a couple thousand years. And historically, we used it because um, it was there to transmit to the future generations kind of the traditions, culture, and knowledge that has been passed down to us. And that's a great contrast to what we now have in so-called progressive education, which really focuses on the flaws of the past, creating in students kind of this shame culture while leaving out the the progress and the positive aspects of western civilization that's an excellent point yeah because that's what the left is all about they tear down they don't build they tear down because that's easy to do and i I, i'm guessing maybe part of the problem quote unquote with a classical education is it's probably perceived as you know a part of the patriarchy or a part of colonialism a part of imperialism uh, and it was, you know, taught by a bunch of, or, or I guess, uh, uh, offered up by a bunch of dead white guys. So we can't have that. Uh, anyway, I went off on a bit of a tangent there. <laughs> so, oh, what, what, when we're talking about a classical education, I think like the trivium. What does that, what does that entail? Right. Yeah, trivium actually means kind of threefold. So uh, there's actually entire conferences based on this question of <laughs> what is the trivium and what does it, uh, how is it structured? But I'll try and distill it just briefly. So it's really a three-part process of training the mind. And it, it's kind of roughly layers onto actual child development. Um, so the first stage is called a grammar stage, and that's where we really build uh, kind of the blocks for all other learning. Um, it's a lot of observation and memorization. Kind of when children are young, they're sponges, they soak it up, they want to hear facts, they want to learn about the world. And that's what kind of grades one to four is based on. And then when they're a bit older, kind of grade five to eight, they start asking more questions. Why did these things happen? That's kind of when we, we call this the logic stage. Students start to ask deeper questions and um, make connections, cause and effect. More abstract thought develops. And finally, the rhetoric st stage is what we consider the high school stage. That's kind of when they fully mature into more synthesis of thought and uh, also bring more force into their own speech and own writing and also originality. So it has this threefold process. But I think one of the important things in this process is that it's language focused rather than image focused. So that means um, it doesn't focus on pictures, videos and television and this kind of passive learning because absorbing images doesn't require the brain to really work very hard. It's very passive, but rather it's focused on language where the brain has to really work hard to translate a symbol into a concept. So it actually creates a more rigorous type of study and it disciplines the mind to receive all other types of learning. So that would be also maybe something that made it, may make it seem a bit elitist because it's very, very language focused and it's rigorous and people tend to kind of think that's too hard. Uh, yeah, contrast the classical education with uh, the state of Oregon, where the governor has just announced they're removing all math and English requirements, language requirements from high school because of 
racism. Uh, so uh, how does a classical education then then um, fit different subjects into this framework, like, you know, math or, I don't know, history, etc.? Right. Yeah. Um, in classical education, uh, it's recognized all knowledge is really interrelated, but it takes history as its kind of organizing outline. So that means beginning with the ancients and progressing forward to the moderns in history, science, literature, arts, and music. So, for example, um, if a child, we're doing the ancients right now, so if you're doing ancients, you would be reading ancient history, but at the same time, you would be reading about ancient uh, literature, so you'd be reading the stories of Homer, the Odyssey, the Iliad. Um, you would also maybe learn about what was mathematics like, um, like what concepts were discovered at the time. You learn about the geography of ancient Greece and the Mediterranean and, and Egypt. So uh, kind of all subjects are pulled in and it gives you a very coherent framework for how the world and knowledge developed. And that's a great contrast to the often fragmented and confusing way things are presented in a traditional public school model where, you know, students might be learning about the Egyptians and then next week let's talk about pioneers. And it gives you a very fractured understanding of how history and civilization evolved to where we are now. Parents might be listening and saying, well, I could never teach my, my children, you know, these things or in, a, in, a, in the classical uh, method. So what are the resources available if, if, they, if parents want to give their children a classical education at home? Right. Well, one version is uh, there's many online schools that are classical online schools if you kind of want to be hands off. But uh, one of the most uh, read books is something called The Well-Trained Mind by Susan Wise Bauer. And it really gives you a very basic and clear introduction for how to go about this. And anyone can do it. And so many adults are really fascinated by this type of education that they themselves think, why didn't I have this education? And there's actually something called The Well-Educated Mind, which is written for adults and kind of moves you through the classical model and helps you to kind of read the great books and try and understand the world from a historic perspective and gives you kind of a classical education as an adult as well. Fantastic. And we can find these resources up at the website? Yes, they are. Humanitasfamily.net. Humanitasfamily.net. All right, Ruth, as always, great insights, great advice. Thank you so much. Thanks, Richard. Talk to you next week. Ruth Gazgowski, and again, the website, Humanitas, H-U-M-A-N-I-T-A-S, family.net, humanitasfamily.net. If you are able to, to, to homeschool your child, please, please give it serious consideration. It's the greatest gift you can give your child and yourself. All right. That's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob, and Brandon. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again, God willing. The Brian Crombie Hour is next. Be well, find joy, hold fast, be kind, but push back. I'll speak with you tomorrow at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken.
That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.